Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We are located at 25861 State Highway 76 in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. with worship to follow at 10.30 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now enjoy our lesson. When you think about the birth of a, of a church, some of you were here whenever we started this congregation back up. Now, this, the, the, the church at Bradleyville existed before September 7th, 2017, but it had stopped meeting for a while. But when you think about the, 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 uh, a congregation getting started, what pictures do you have in mind? You know, we've already talked in, this, in, the, in our last little bit when we've been talking about the churches of the New Testament. We talked about the church at Jerusalem. And you think about how the church, the, 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 the beginning not just of that congregation, but of the Lord's church, how it got started. It was with a bang, right? You've got, you've got this great sound of mighty rushing wind, and you've got tongues of fire coming down and sitting on the apostles' head. And you've got them speaking in tongues they had never learned, the gospel for the first time. And you've got over 3,000 souls when they heard that gospel preached that they responded in obedience to it. That's starting with a bang, right? But you know, congregations of our Lord's church didn't always start with a bang. And today we're going to be in, uh, if you've got your Bibles open to Philippians, keep them there on your lap because we're going to get back to Philippians. But I want you to hold your finger there and turn over to the book of Acts chapter 16 because we're going to talk today about the church at Philippi. And think about some lessons we can learn from this church and it's how it went from being a baby, a little, a little baby church, to being a mature, um, a mature church that had uh, spiritual strength. What does that look like? And I think there's some things we can learn as we continue to grow as the body of Christ here in Bradleyville. There's some things we can learn and we can begin to apply to ourselves as individuals, but also to the body of Christ to help us to grow. I want to begin by just kind of doing a quick um, geographic lesson, right? So in Acts chapter 15, at the end of the chapter, you see Paul and Barnabas, they're, gonna, they're talking about going back and starting their, their next missionary journey. You remember there's some friction between them because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and Paul wasn't agreeable to that. So they, they, the contention was so sharp, they divided. Barnabas took John and he went to Cyprus and Silas, is joined Paul, and they begin this journey then to go back and to, to kind of not reclaim, but re, re-encourage the churches that, that Paul and Barnabas had helped start on their first mission journey. So they leave Antioch, which is right over here in the corner, and they begin to travel back through Cilicia and Galatia, visiting Lystra and Derbe and, and those cities that we've heard about in, in previous chapters. They go through Phrygia and Galatia. But something interesting happens at the beginning of chapter 16. As they're traveling through these regions, they, they want to go into Bithynia. And it says they were, they were restricted from going there. The Holy Spirit kept them from going there. And so they end up kind of taking this little side route through Mycenae and end up over at Troas. And we sing the song, we, you, we have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. That's where that song comes from in chapter 16. As they're in Troas, Paul sees a vision. A man of Macedonia calling to him saying, come over and help us. And this is the first recorded incidence we see 
of the gospel being preached on the European continent. Now, it doesn't mean that it may not have gone there through other apostles or other Christians, but this is the first recorded incident that we have. And so Paul and his companions, they sail across the, the sea there to Samothrace, and they end up at uh, Neapolis. And they, they end up coming to Philippi. Now, Philippi was a prominent, it's called the foremost city in that region. It was a, it was a colonial city. It was a Roman it was a, excuse me, it was a Greek city that had been Romanized and made into a, a, the colony capital there, you might say. And so this was an important city. And you would think about the Lord's church in important cities. We might tend to think that they start off again with a bang. But I want you to notice here in Acts chapter 16 how this, how this, um, this congregation of the Lord's church starts. What's the birth of a local church look like <clears throat> Acts chapter 16 beginning in verse 12 um, and from there to Philippi they're sailing they're, they're moving excuse me which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia a colony and we were staying in that city for some days and on the Sabbath we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made now let's pause there for just a second you remember on their first missionary journey when they were traveling through these cities they would always go to the synagogue first, right? Now, scholars look at this and they say, well, one of the reasons why they didn't go to the synagogue first was because there was no synagogue in Philippi at that time. It took um, anywhere between 15 to 25 Jewish men in the city for, the, for the, the, the Jewish community then to organize into a synagogue. What we see here was there weren't enough faithful Jewish men to have a synagogue in Philippi. So where did they go? They went to the riverside. Who was there? People who were looking for God. The women of the city had gathered there. Those who were God-fearing women had gathered there at the city, at the riverside, excuse me, to pray. And that's what we see in verse, uh, in verse 13. Where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, say, If you judge me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. That's what the church at Philippi looks like when it's born, right? You've got a woman who is a worshiper of God, who hears the word of God. Her heart's open to it, and she receives it. And she and her household then obey the gospel. And she compels them. She says, hey, if you found me faithful, I want you to stay here. And work with us. And so they do. That's how, that's how the congregation in Philippi begins. Now you remember that they, as they're preaching there and as they're, as they're working in the city, uh, verse 16 th down through uh, verse 24 describes how they're in prison. Uh, they, as they're, as they're um, going out to prayer, verse 16, there's a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination who met them. And uh, she... She testifies in verse 17, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. But um, these men are, are, uh, have charges brought up against them. They're imprisoned. They're beaten first off, and then they're thrown into prison. And in the night, as they're singing and praying to God, there's an earthquake, right? 
Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's chains were loose. And you remember the story of the, of the Philippian jailer then, right? He runs in, and he asks them a question. We'll get into that in just a minute. And they answer his question. And in answering the question, they preach Christ to him, and he obeys the gospel. He and his household. So now you see the church starting to grow. And that's what the birth of a church looks like. It starts small, oftentimes. It doesn't always begin with a big bang, but it begins to grow. And, and through the preaching of the gospel, people are added to the Lord's body. The next day, Paul and Silas are released. And there's some interesting things that go on there. But they go back and they encourage the brethren. Um, verse... Um, 40 says, so when we went out of prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when we had, they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Now I want, to, I want you to pause now, and I want to skip over to Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to notice here, this has been, a t some time has passed. <clears throat> Paul's actually now in prison, so there's been a number of years that have passed between the writing, or the, the events of Acts chapter 16 and the writing of Philippians chapter 1, but I want you to listen to how Paul describes this church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, right? He's writing to Christians who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now, you remember last week we talked about elders or bishops, these these men who had oversight of the church and pastored the church, shepherded the church of God. And they had to have certain qualifications in order to be that. How does a church grow from being one family and then maybe a family to a couple of families to the point where they are mature so that they have men who are qualified to be elders, men who are qualified to be deacons? We didn't even talk about that last week. And able to... You might say to stand on their own feet. What does that look like? What does that church growth look like? That's what I want to think about with, the, with this church of Philippi. Because in a lot of ways, I think it kind of mirrors the church of Bradleyville here, right? We've kind of had to get started off small. We started probably with more than they started in Philippi. And we've had some growth and we've had some retraction with, as families move out of the area or go back to their home congregations. And now we've had some growth again. What does it look like then to maintain spiritual growth to the point that a church becomes mature. I would call the church in Philippi mature. They have saints that are faithful to God. They have bishops. They have deacons. They have a structure, that organization, that looks like what God intended the church to look like. So let's think about this. Where do you begin? And growth always begins with the gospel. <clears throat> You go back to Acts chapter 16 and you remember what, what, the script, what the scripture says that Paul and Silas did. When they got to Philippi on the Sabbath, they went out to where prayer was customarily made. They went to places where people were going to be <clears throat> in mind to want to worship God. And they spoke to the women. That's all it says. Verse six, uh, chapter 16 in verse... Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. What they speak about? <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of things we might speak about when we go out to, 
to even even go to a to a, what we call a prayer meeting, right? There's there's many things we might speak about, but what I want to point out to you is what they spoke about were things that were important to salvation. Notice what it says here. <clears throat> now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was at seller purple from the city of Tidehart. We've already read this, right? The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The first thing we notice is they spoke things that needed to be heeded. What's, what's that mean? When you heed something, what does that mean? It means it's something that is worth paying attention to because it has value for a specific purpose. They spoke things that needed to be heeded. What else did they speak about? Well, they must have spoken about Jesus Christ. And they must have spoken about obedience to the gospel because you notice what the response was. She heard it. Her heart was open to it. And she obeyed it. Verse 15, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So they, she persuaded us. If you were to boil that down, if we didn't know anything else about the scriptures besides what we know from Jesus' teaching and from this passage, what would we assume Paul and Silas spoke to them about? They spoke about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, right? They spoke about the necessity of salvation from sin. They spoke about the grace that God had extended to mankind through Jesus Christ. And they spoke about man's necessity to repent of his sins and to be baptized for the remission of sins. That's what we saw preached in Acts chapter 2, right? And we see the same response here. The birth of a church always begins with the gospel. You skip on down to verse 17, and we read this already, but this young woman, the slave girl who was who had a spirit of divination, when she cries out against Paul and Silas, listen to what she says. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. If you heard that, what would that mean to you? What would you think that, that they were preaching? We'll go on down in the, into the passage and we see what they, were, what they were preaching, what they were proclaiming, and we see it specifically by the example of the interaction with the with the Philippian jailer. They're there in the prison, they're praying, they're, they're singing songs, it's midnight, the earthquake happens, the bars of the jail are loosened, the men are, um, everyone's chains are loosed, verse 26 says, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul called with a loud voice, saying, don't harm yourself, we're here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? One of the most important questions that a man can ask. At any point in time, regardless of whether it's just after an earthquake and all of his prisoners could have escaped, but they didn't, right? I want you to notice how Paul answers this question. He begins where the man is. What does he need to know? He needs to know about Jesus, and he needs to know that he needs to believe in this man. He says in verse uh, 31, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. He starts where the man is. That's another aspect of the gospel that's important. Whenever we're sharing the gospel, we've got to start where they are. And bring them to Jesus. Help draw them to Jesus. And so he starts with the idea of the identity of Jesus and the necessity of belief in him. And then he begins to preach to him. Notice what the next verse says. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all his house. Belief in Jesus Christ is more than just an intellectual acknowledgement of Jesus. It requires a knowledge of what we just talked about before, right? A righteous God, a sinful people, the necessity of remission of sins, and how that happens through the blood of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The judgment day is coming. That's something else that we'd often forget in the whole discussion of the gospel. But why is it important? Why is there urgency in the gospel? That's one of the things you see in the story of the Philippian jailer, the urgency of it. Right? This is the middle of the night. And they didn't wait till the morning. They didn't wait till they go back to bed and, and get caught up on your sleep and then let's get together whenever it's more convenient for us. This is in the middle of the night they're having this conversation. They preach the word of the Lord to him and to his household. And notice what he does here. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Sometimes we overlook that. But why is that important? What did Jesus tell his disciples to preach when he sent them out in the world? Luke chapter 24, verse 46, he says, Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. We've covered that, right? That's the preaching of the, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What is this man doing here? Why was it important for him to take them that hour and wash their stripes unless he had had a role to play in their beating? You know what that's called? That's called repentance. Why would he have known to do that? Because they preached it to him. And it wasn't simply because it was in their own personal interest to have him repent so they could have their stripes washed, right? That's what he needed to do to begin the process, to be involved in the process of reconciling himself to God. And so he repents of his sins, just like Peter told those men on the day of Pentecost when they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent. There's a necessity of repentance in obedience to the gospel. And then, following that repentance, notice what happens next. Immediately he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Why was it urgent? Because he knew, this man knew that baptism was for the remission of sin. Do you want your sins washed away? Yeah. Okay, here's what we do. We're going to immerse you in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. They understood that and they obeyed the gospel. That's how, that's how the Lord's church gets started. It's with the preaching of the gospel. And they were obedient to it. And notice how it ends here. <clears throat> Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. What was he told to do? Believe in Jesus Christ. What was he rejoicing over? The fact that he had believed in Jesus Christ. That he had been obedient to the gospel. That's how churches get started. Now I want you to jump over back to Philippians. And we're going to spend the rest of the time in Philippians. But I want you to notice now that Christians don't outgrow the gospel. The church doesn't outgrow the gospel. The gospel is not just a phase in the growth of the church. It's not just the seed that gets planted that germinates in the Christians and then we're done with the gospel. Because Paul is going to make comments here about their fellowship in the gospel. They're sharing in common in the work of the gospel. And not just in Paul's preaching, but in their continued observance of, their continued obedience to 
the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance. I'm going to pause just a second. Wouldn't it be great to have a faithful brother in Christ tell you that? I thank my God for you every time I remember you. I thank God in prayer for you. That's a great encouragement. That's why Paul was a great encourager. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What was that first day? It's that day, that Sabbath day, out on the shore of the river when Paul and Silas preached the gospel to Lydia and her household. From that day, they had been sharing in the fellowship. They had a common denominator amongst them, and that was the gospel, and they were all sharing in it. But it wasn't just that he was that they had this fellowship. Notice what he says down in verse 27. He said, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or else I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's why I said to you that the church never outgrows the gospel. Because now as Christians, their conduct had to be worthy of the gospel. It had to be something that was after the manner of the gospel, something that would be an encouragement to others to obey the gospel as well. Lord's church is born through the gospel and never outgrows. But what else does what else does a baby church need to grow? Think about little babies, you know, and they gotta have nourishment. And they gotta have their diapers changed, and they gotta they gotta be washed, and there's all the little things that go with with a little baby. And as they grow, those things don't really go away. You know, you still gotta feed a twenty one year old just like you do a, a a baby, right? And sometimes you gotta feed them a little bit more. And you've got to wash him a little more because there's more body parts to wash, right? I don't wash Jacob, but he's got he's to be, there's, there's the same concepts go on, but sometimes more of it, right? That There's more to it. So let's, let's think about how does, a, how does a church continue to grow? What do we do? And the first thing is it's got to grow spiritually. There's got to be spiritual uh, uh, nourishment that helps the church to grow. Look at the Philippians Chapter 1, verse 9. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You, t- you boil all that down, and Paul says, I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to grow in love. I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to grow in discernment. I want you to grow in the ability to approve things that are excellent, to judge between good and bad, right? I want you to be able to understand that there is a need to be sincere, that you live without offense till the day of Christ, and be filled with the fruits of righteousness. When you think about the fruits of righteousness, what do you think of? I don't think of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and the fruit of the Spirit is joy, and the fruit of the Spirit is peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's praying that this church will be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. So a growing church needs fruit. A growing church needs love. A growing church needs discernment and knowledge. They need to study God's Word so they can be smarter about, the, about good and evil. What else does the baby church need? 
It needs spiritual unity. This is one of the beautiful themes that runs through the book of Philippians is the idea of being one. We read this verse earlier, but I want to remind you of it. Look, we're going to read a longer passage here. Some of these are going to be longer passages, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to read through and try to comment as little as I need to. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or else I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, and if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by, listen, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, I don't know how many more times. I, I'm, he could have kept going, right? But how many more times do you have to say pretty much the same thing? We want you. God wants us to be in unity with each other. That means we got to learn to think the same way. Well, how are we going to learn to think the same way? Because we're all different, right? We learn to think the way God thinks. We learn to think about things from a godly perspective. We learn to give up ourselves so that I can think about your interests ahead of my own. That's what he talks about next. Let nothing be done through, dis, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. You know one of the best ways to have unity is for me to serve you. For me to put your interests ahead of myself. That's how a church grows in unity is when we learn to serve each other. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The next thing we'll see is spiritual sacrifice. Giving up ourselves for each other. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. Brethren, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he might have confidence in his place, I'm more. Listen to what Paul's going Paul's to set himself up here as being somebody who ought to be uh, highly esteemed. And then he's going to tear that down. And he's going to say, this is what I really am. I'm a servant. Though I might have confidence in his flesh, if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in his flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. 
And he punctuates with this. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if any ways you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've all retained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of a man who said no to himself. A picture of a man who has sacrificed himself to God. He's given himself over to God. That's what it takes in a, in, in a, for a church to mature is to have Christians who are willing to give themselves up to serve God. We've got people, we've got to have a, a spiritual joy about us. Look at verse, um, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. You skip over to chapter 4, and he begins chapter 4 with the same idea. He said, Therefore, my beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Joy is not just simply being giddy. It's not just being happy. It is, it is a, it's a deep satisfaction that comes from knowing God that brings about a joyous spirit in us, right? Growing a church is a church that's joyous. You ever been around a congregation that you just, they, they were, they were um, how's the phrase go? They were nursed on lemons and weaned on pickle juice, right? <laughs> that their mouths are just naturally turned down like this, right? Because they, they, there's no joy in the, in the Lord. And we've been around Christians like that, if not congregations that are like that. We feel, they feel like it's their duty to beat down anything that might be joyous. If anybody has a, a, a right to be joyous, who is it? It's Christians, right? And so we ought to be the most joyous people in the world. We ought to be rejoicing on a daily basis, on, a rate, on, a, on an hourly basis, in the, in the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul says that a growing church will have joy. They'll have a, a spiritual joy that is overwhelming, that, that is... Um, Able to overcome in time of trouble. Also, though, they're going to have discipline. What does discipline mean? Think about discipline like a vaccination, right? It's the right treatment at the right time in the right place. And I want you to listen to what spiritual discipline looked like in the church in Philippi. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. What does that mean? There's friction, right? You ever been around, it? You ever been around Christians that have friction? What does it tend to do to the church? It wants to tear it apart, right? Because if you let that friction, if you let that, if you let that dissension ride long enough, people are going to start joining sides. They're going to start pairing up. And there's going to be trouble in the church. And so Paul says, we've got to cut this off the past. And the way you do that is you do that with discipline. And first off, he starts with the individuals. He says, I encourage you all, I exhort you to, to be at whatever it is that's causing trouble, just get over it. Be of the same mind. But then he's going to bring some other characters to bear. This is where it's important to have strong elders, strong deacons, strong Christians in the church. Listen to what he says in, in the next verse. No, in the rest of the verse. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Sometimes people can't solve their problems on their own. And so you've got to have other people step in and help them to overcome it. That's what church discipline looks like. That's one of the reasons why it's important for churches to have strong leadership, but also have to, to have a strong connection with each other. 
Because if we don't belong to each other, you know what discipline looks like? First off, either I don't care or I have no authority because you're going to go your own way. That's the importance of oneness in the body. We see here also in this passage that spiritual growth requires spiritual peace. You can't really say the word peace without just drawing in a deep breath, right? Chapter 4, verse 6. Or excuse me, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. That should have been actually 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? And the peace of God, who, which passes all understanding, will keep or guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If a church is going to grow spiritually, if a church is going to grow numerically, if a church is going to grow in any way, shape, or form, we've got to be people who are praying people and peaceful people. Spiritual growth requires peace. And we are to be peacemakers, as Jesus said in his, in his um, Beatitudes. It also requires spiritual training. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy, and you can encapsulate that all, if you think about where would we find all of these things, true, noble, just, praiseworthy, we're going to find them in God's Word, right? And he says, if you're going to find these things, if you want to, if you want to know these things, you've got to meditate on them. Now, meditate, you think that sounds kind of, metaphysical right but what we're talking about here is letting our minds be occupied with these ideas for an extended period of time one of the reasons why we emphasize daily bible reading is to help train ourselves to get into the mode of meditating on god's word for a period of time now i will tell you from experience you won't be able to meditate on god's word for an extended period of time without growing that skill and so that's why you start small start with five minutes but take a passage and just let your mind dwell on it. Or read a longer passage. Let your mind dwell on it. But you've got to be intentional about training your brain to grow, to feed on God's Word. Because sometimes there's some, there's some meat in there. And sometimes there's some bones that you've got to chew on. That means we've got to be able to train ourselves to be able to do that on a regular basis. Oh, in verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And finally, spiritual abundance. This is not, I, I'll start to say this is when you know you made it. I, won't, I wouldn't say that. That's, that's not accurate. But when we, when we know that we are maturing is when we begin to see things through eyes of spiritual abundance. These Philippians were not rich, but they were abundant in their giving. And we'll, we'll finish with this one. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though, at least sure, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am there to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I know how to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who, Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. 
Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have, have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When you see a church begin to, to, to grow in each one of these areas, you're going to see a church that's going to grow to maturity. They're going to grow to a point where they're going to have, naturally in their body, they're going to have men who are qualified to be elders, they're going to have men who are going to qualify to be deacons. They're going to have women who are qualified to be teachers and to be, and to be servants and to do the things that God has called us to do in the church. You're going to see a mature church grow out of this. And the, the church at Philippi stands as the example to us of what church growth looks like. And yet what's really interesting to me is Paul's writing this letter to them after they have gone to the point where they have elders. They have bishops, right? They have deacons. But they still need to grow. They still need encouragement. They still need to continue in their spiritual walk. What's interesting about these churches is that the Lord provides. He provides the necessary things for a baby church to be born and grow. He provides the, the gospel, that, that, that seed that when sown in the hearts of mankind produces Christians. He provides the, 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 the nourishment and the nutrients, the environment in which a church can grow. But he also relies on his disciples. He relies on us to do our part, to grow individually and to grow the body. It's important for us to do our part, to play our, our part in the growth of the church. I want to end today by asking a question. Same question that the Philippian jailer asked. He said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you done what the Philippian jailer and his household did? Whenever he asked that question, um, Paul answered with, a, with, with a, the starting point of anyone's journey towards God. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You believe in Jesus Christ with all your heart. Are you willing to submit yourself to his will, to his commands? Are you willing to turn away from your sin, to repent of that sin that's in your life? Are you willing to confess the name of Jesus? Are you willing to be baptized for the remission of sin? That's, that's what we see in, in the story of the birth of the Philippian church. And that's what can happen here for, for you today if you want to be in your, your Christian walk. I want to encourage you to do that. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that. But if you have and you've let sin creep into your life and you become discouraged by it, as we talked about in class, don't let, don't let that go a minute longer. Let's, let's, let's let our spiritual growth help us out of those situations so that we can get back on the right path headed towards heaven. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then... Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.